you for tuning in to the Progression Project Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Antonson. Uh, and today we have a conversation. This is not a foiling series podcast, though I think it will help anyone who is a surfer athlete foiler. Um, podcast is with Eric Goodman, who is the founder of Foundation Training. And I talked a little bit about my history with foundation training. Eric's a good friend of mine. I met him over a decade ago now um, through a mutual friend. And it was at a point when I thought I was headed for spinal fusion surgery. I had been having a ton of back problems. Um, I had broken a pars vertebrae, apparently, uh, mountain biking when I was probably 13 years old. Um, Came off this jump, landed on a route right in the center of my lower back. Uh, fractured a pars vertebrae. And as I was growing, that vertebrae slipped forward. Then after a decade of surfing, um, early mid twenties started having uh, a lot of uh, sciatic pain and then tingling and numbness in my legs. When I had my daughter Kemper, I was 26 when I had her and then 27, 28, I'd be picking her up. My feet would go numb. Um, as I was paddling out, my feet would start tingling. Um, it was a, it was a pretty terrible place to be. I was living in the middle of the jungle in Costa Rica and finally went and got an MRI, found out that I had what's called a spondylolisthesis, a vertebrae that was, uh, pars had broken, vertebrae had slipped forward. And uh, the doctor there told me I was going to need spinal fusion surgery, flew back to the States a couple months later, went and saw another doctor here. They said the same thing. They said I could probably train my way out of it for a little while, but that's where I was headed. And that was pretty shocking news to someone who was, you know, mid-20s and you know addicted to surfing wanted to be in the water all the time and you know back surgeries you don't know what's going to happen and so a few months later i was introduced to eric goodman who was at the beginning he just finished his first book called foundation and he started showing me the work of what he was doing with foundation training and it was a game changer for me within a couple months and this is after i had already gone down the road of intense yoga all sorts of other physical therapy and Eric showed me the foundation training method and it was immediately helpful. And to the point to where I had, I took foundation training or, um, as far as I could take it at that point. And, and I, and I also took the idea of spinal fusion surgery off the table for a while. And I got to remember to, to mute my notifications because it drives me nuts when this happens in the morning. Um, but anyway, so I tabled spinal fusion surgery, kept going with foundation training and a couple years later, uh, Eric in, came up with the, with the new decompression breathing. And the decompression breathing for me was an absolute game changer. I was, even with the foundation training, I'd still need to see a chiropractor every couple years or every couple months uh, to release the L5, L4, L5. It, you know, it would get locked up and they would put a lot of pressure on the nerves back there. And then with the decompression breathing coupled with foundation training, I was basically able to pull, um, create traction on my back and pop out those vertebrae, um, and give myself the same relief that, um, a chiropractor was able to give me. So pretty amazing for me. I'm hugely, uh, indebted to Eric for, for doing this and try to give as much back to him as I can and share his work because I think it's helped so many people. And, you know, the list of who he's trained is very long. He trained the 2008 Olympic team. He, uh, trains, you know, anyone who's everyone in, in, in surfing, uh, Tom Carroll, Kelly Slater, Dane Reynolds worked th- with him for a long time, Lakey Peterson. And there's 
a huge overlap in the back issues and surfers because of the way we prone paddle for so long. Um, it's part of the reason I got into stand up at the beginning was the, and actually I worked with Eric there too. You know, um, when I started getting into stand up, Eric had come down to Costa Rica to surf and he helped me create a stroke that instead of creating compression on the spine actually created traction on the spine and was like training and doing foundation training, you know, every time I was surfing. That was a huge game changer as well. So Eric comes on the show today to talk about his new work. Um, I'm in the middle of doing his 120, 112 day challenge right now. It is uh, a daily workout incorporating, teaching you along the way, all of the foundation training basics, and then working your way up through all the new work, decompression, breathing, and um, a lot of new anchors. If you're familiar with the work, it's different now than it was a few years ago, and it's better. I think it's markedly better. Uh, creates more stability for me. Um, I'm really liking. It. So, so Eric comes on today to talk about the new work. Uh, we actually go into talking about some business he's navigating right now, growing a business. Uh, you know, I have a lot of commonality there with him. I uh, grew a business and then and then sold it a, a few years back. And so we talk about that for a little bit um, about staying healthy, um, longevity for surfers. That that might be relevant for a lot of you guys. So I think you'll enjoy the conversation. Uh, Eric is a legend and he's helped me tremendously. And so this is a thanks for, uh, for, for all the help that he's done for me over the years. And I hope that you get out of it as much, um, as I have, I, I would challenge you to do the 30 day workout, you know, start with the stream, uh, stream.foundationtraining.com jump in and do 30 days, you know, it'll take you at least a week or two to start to understand where to build the tension in the workouts. And once you start to understand that it'll have a transformative effect, it makes me a better surfer. Um, right now I'm, I'm doing a lot of training and, and the foundation training is at the center of it. Just trying to create as hardy and stable of a platform that I can. Uh, especially with us foilers in the way that we are building an instability through the difference in weighting between front and back foot and the difference in drives and musculature that that is building, the foundation training is going to help balance us out. Um, and so that is something that I have noticed, you know, my right quad is now a little bit bigger than my left quad. Um, it's interesting to me. I, I saw this when I was really into stand up too. And I, I trained in stand up for a long time uh, when I was competing and your body physically adapts to your sport. And that's a great thing for your sport, but it might not be a great thing for your overall health and future well-being because you don't want those imbalances. And so anything that you're doing to help balance out um, what we're creating through our sport is a good thing. And I feel that foundation training is one of the best ways to do that. It's a neurological workout as much as, as it is a physical workout. So uh, check out the work. I think you'll love it. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Eric. I also just recorded with Annie Reichert, uh, Annie Star, and that interview blew me away. She was a fantastic guest. That'll be out in a few days. So uh, stay tuned. A whole lot of cool stuff lined up and thank you for tuning in. I appreciate um, yeah, all you guys. Be well. Eric Goodman, thank you for coming on the Progression Project podcast. How you doing, buddy? It's my pleasure, man. I'm doing well. Life is good. 
we're in crazy times, but fortunately life is good. In the first five minutes here, why don't you give us a quick breakdown, understanding of what foundation training is, what your work has been focused on, so that everyone listening has a has a framework to start with, and then we can have a conversation after that. Okay. All right. So I'll try to I'll try to be clear and relatively concise. Um, so foundation training is a very very simple body weight exercise program that is based on two principles: one from the pelvis to the head, which is decompression breathing, and one from the pelvis to the feet, which is pelvic anchoring. For a guy like you, Eric, uh, with a, an instability, like a spondylolisthesis that needs to learn how to stay stable, and it's right at that juncture where the spine and the pelvis meet, there's nothing better than this work. It, it literally stabilizes the center of you by pulling the edges apart. And in doing that, these very, very important muscles called the posterior chain muscles that go from the back of the legs all the way up to the back of the head, and then some other very important muscles, the, the groin muscles, the arch muscles, the abdomen, they're strengthened very uniquely, very differently than other exercise protocols. And the net impact is that your body supports its weight more evenly, that injuries are protected pretty readily by the muscles that surround them, and that those muscles communicate better with the muscles that surround them, creating a stronger overall network of muscular communication and, and body stability. And yeah, we've done it with a lot of different types of people. So anyone who's listening, if you're in front of a computer, hop on YouTube and what's the title of the 12 minute video? That would be a great way just to look, or, or what's the video that folks should look at right now if they're in front of a computer to kind of get a visual on what you're talking about. We actually have very specific decompression breathing and anchoring tutorials now for free on YouTube. And it's just, if you Google foundation training, uh, especially if you Google foundation training, decompression breathing or anchoring, those will come up. Uh, and yeah, there it's like a five or six minute video and it's, it's Jesse and I, Jesse is my, my primary instructor and he's really, really good coach, really strong guy. And you'll just see very simple videos of us teaching this work and we teach detailed. And even our free stuff is very, very detailed. So um, if anybody's wanting to just learn it real quick, go go on YouTube and just put in foundation training and, you know, snoop around for a little while. Okay. So in the first versions of foundation training to now, I've noticed the big change for me anyways, outside of decompression breathing, which I look at as a kind of a new exercise in there, but it has to do with the anchoring and the tension on the feet. Can you explain why that change has happened and, and what that's doing? Cause I feel it, but I don't understand it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm still trying to understand it myself. <laughs> um, that's, that's the nature of this work is it's all reverse engineering. I've already hit the end goal that I hope to hit. And now I'm trying to figure out how the heck I got there. And, um, what happened with anchoring in particular is over about a five year period, I had to continue getting my back better. And the first five years of my work, I mean, five years, man, from 2008 until 2013 was very extension based. Uh, and by extension based, I mean, we were reinitiating a healthy curve at the lower back and at the neck, the two extension curves in the body. 
but we would do it by going a little further than most were initially comfortable recommending, but the impact was good. Fast forward five years and I had done a little bit too much extension in my own body. And I had to literally start pulling width into the back of my body and pulling flexion back into my thoracic curve, the, the curve, you know, from your shoulders to your low mid back, basically the back of your rib cage. It had started to extend too much. I was sticking my chest out too much and it was helping my lower back, but it was not helping my body's overall stability. And I was starting to just not feel as strong as I liked. And I was starting to get familiar joint pains again in my back. So from 2000 and I mean, you can see the, you can see the initial imprint of decompression breathing in my Ted talk from 2011. You can see it in a a lecture on breathing that I gave in 2012 uh, at Berkeley that's online. Like I've really gone in depth and recorded as much as possible along the way so that you can see the shaping of all of the things that are now seen as, as pretty clean cut in foundation training. But this anchoring process, it's weird. The whole time for years, I was trying to make the back of my rib cage breathe better. I was trying to make my lower back ribs just expand. It seemed like no matter what I did, I would breathe into the front of my abdomen and the front of my chest. And the back of me just got tighter and tighter. So I started working as hard as I could to kind of spread my, what's called your floating ribs, your last ribs at the lower rib cage. I kept trying to pull them apart. I would kind of get almost meditative while I was breathing in. I would try to pull those apart. What I found was that I had a substantial, substantial amount more control if I let my hip joints internally rotate a little bit. I'm going to get a little bit sciencey for a second. I'm sorry if this is annoying to anybody, but it does make a lot of sense to anybody that has done some research on their own body. When your hips are stuck external rotated, your feet turning out a little bit, there's a very important muscle that nobody thinks is turned off, but it's kind of turned off and it's called your transversus abdominis. And that's the deepest layer of your abdomen. It sets the tone for the entire front wall of your torso. When it's too short or when it's kind of hyperextended, which is actually too long, it's not going to work very well. It's not going to have any anchor points and it's not going to allow the rib cage to have a bottom, a base of suspension from which it can expand from because you need a tether in order for force to be distributed to the outer edges of something. It has to be rooted. It can't, you know, otherwise it's going to break where that force tries to hit the tether. So I don't know if that's confusing or not, but for those that are still with me, I had to strengthen the lower edges of my rib cage where it attached to my torso, to my abdomen, my pelvis. And that strength comes with length. It does not come with compression. It comes with trying to pull yourself apart so well that you uniformly pull yourself back together. And the best way that I could do that was by getting three specific points of my feet to engage into the ground, to spread those points apart as I was trying to spread the back of my rib cage apart. And what you feel when you do that is this anchoring and decompression process, which is tightness and strength through the hips and the legs and a stretch and expansion through the back edges of the torso and the front of the chest. And if you can get that right, you, well, you do what you did, Eric, and you, you fix yourself pretty well. You reestablish the center of your body. 
So I noticed the difference in how the decompression breathing feels with the new footwork, with the new anchoring and how it felt before with more of the heel weighted, um, founders. That's, that's very noticeable. I don't get the same release in my back when I am anchored. I know you shouldn't anymore. You shouldn't anymore. Do I, do I not want to get that anymore? Because from... I still love it. It still gives me a, a huge satisfaction to feel those pops. Should I not be aiming you're for gonna, that goal anymore? You're going to end up with, yeah, no, you're going to, it's not, don't do it anymore. It's not that it's bad. It's that you're going to graduate. Just like I graduated. Okay. And you're still going to have control over those pops and you're still going to be able to get them. And, and the pops that we're talking about, everybody is Eric has gotten strong enough in his body to literally gap his spine using decompression breathing and posterior chain engagement that not only takes his spine to length, but it also engages some very, very important muscles called the multifidi against the larger muscles that surround the hips and spine. And when you get good at it, if compression is your injury, you're going to literally, not everybody, but a lot of people are going to be able to decompress their own spine at a pretty regular basis. And Eric is a, a testament to that. It, it what feels happens, like you're, though, is that can, it, it feels like you're pulling, you know, like you can pull your fingers and your knuckles will pop. That, that's what it feels like. Exactly. It's not a rotational adjustment. It's a, it's a traction adjustment. Very, very different. And when you get those, eventually you're going to have to start tightening things up because what you're doing is you're getting that tissue used to motion. And that's good, but it's, it's also bad. Like motion needs to have, you got, if you're going to accelerate, you have to have a good deceleration system. And that's where that anchoring comes in. Your deceleration system for the upward motion of the spine is oddly enough, better contraction at the groin muscles, the butt muscles and the hamstring muscles. And that oddly enough comes from the positioning and the pressures put through as much of the perimeter of your foot as possible. So when I say that, I would imagine you can kind of think in your head now what's happening a little bit. We're getting more muscles to stabilize all of the joints in your hips. And with that stability comes a lot more restriction and resistance. And it's going to be harder, much harder to pop the spine uh, grossly. But in time, and my, my, I've made a few predictions with you and they've been close. So assume this is going to be close. It might not be 100% accurate, but it's going to be close. In time, that strength will yield fewer gross pops where it's like, oh, yeah, boom, boom, boom. You know, you might get a couple. And sporadic, powerful, accurate uh, tractions and decompressions, which is what you're ultimately looking for. Gotcha. Um, all right. So the majority of folks who are going to be listening to this podcast are surfers and most of them have come from a shortboard background and I've mentioned back issues on the show a number of times. And a, a commonality is that foiling, cause a lot of, a lot of listeners will be super foil brained, uh, brethren, mm-hmm. um, come to foiling with some injuries based on a lifetime of shortboarding. And while foiling has a dangerous learning curve because you're flying on a, you know, pretty sharp knife going 20 miles an hour through the water and there's some, some dangerous, you know, 
outcomes that can happen in the learning process. Once you are foiling and you're pretty good at it, it's actually much easier on your body because you don't have that same torque that happens. I mean, you know, you've worked with top surfers, you know, the amount of, of torque that happens in yeah. really critical moments surfing. Um, but what are the common characteristics of someone who has surfed a lifetime? What type of back injuries or um, chronic conditions are you seeing and are you helping people with? And if someone was going to use this kind of as a how-to or um, self-help type of podcast, what would you tell someone who's surfed a lifetime and, and what, do you, what would you anticipate their issues to be? I know that's hugely broad, but uh, might be very helpful to some folks. Uh, it is broad, but I can definitely make some generalizations. And I'll give a little bit more of my background than just helping a few surfers. Um, I work with chronic pain patients all over the world. I call myself a chronic pain generalist because there is nothing specific to anybody. That is like you can have the exact same set of symptoms and have a completely different background and you can have a completely similar background. I mean, everything the same, same size, same body structure, same age, same everything, and just have completely different expressions of the same uh, root cause problem in the body. So you can never be too specific on chronic pain, but there are a few things that tend to, to really follow surfers, skaters, snowboarders, um, oddly enough, baseball players and golfers, uh, you know, people that have rotate one-sided rotation as a dominant element of their sport. Uh, you know, if you're a regular foot surfer, you're mostly looking out over your left shoulder as you're going front side. If you're a goofy foot shoulder, you're mostly looking out over your right shoulder as you're going front side. And those twists and turns, uh, have. So, okay. So everybody, let's assume you're, let's assume you're regular foot. You've planted your back foot. You just took your bottom turn. You're looking up, kind of up and down the face of the wave. Your weight is shifting, but your head is looking in a very, almost a, almost at a 90 degree angle away from your hip joints. So your hips are facing one way and your head is facing 90 degrees ahead of that. Does that make sense, Eric, when I say that? Yeah. I should also yeah. say that Eric yeah. Goodman, Eric is a good surfer too. Um, so he knows. Not like you guys though. Not like a lot of the people listening to this. I'm an, I'm an okay. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhere where I'm just, it's a hell of a lot of fun. I'll tell you that much yeah. enough to, <laughs> to be able to understand everything that we're talking about here. And, uh, from, from a personal standpoint, I appreciate that. Um, so as you're looking out left, I mean, everybody just turn your head to the left, just turn your head to the left, whatever position you're in right now and look over your left shoulder and feel the tightness on the left side of your neck and the expansion on the right side of your neck. And now assume that that rotation is going to have small little bits of tightness and compression down the entire spine and all the way through the feet. You can't do anything on your board to fix that. You can't really do that much while you're serving to fix that with the exception of a couple knee movements and foot movements and breath movements and arm movements that kind of keep you loose. But when you're out of the water, whether it's right before you surf or right after you surf, you can do a lot to bring yourself back to center. So the injuries people are going to feel are various back pains, various plantar fasciitis, knee pains, and shoulder and neck pains. Um, you're also going to have, you know, a lot of surfers get that rib thrust injury, that repetitive stress injury on the front of their ribs because they paddle with their with their chest facing up and that hyperextension at the middle of their back. The bottom of your ribs 
you know, don't, don't hyperextend on the board. That's a number one for an aging surfer. Stop trying to look up ahead of the board. Like squeeze your knees together, push your knees into the board, breathe into the back of your ribs. And if you want to look up, pull your chin back. So if you're looking up properly on a surfboard while you're paddling out or looking up over the crest of a wave, if you were to talk, you would talk like this because you're pulling your chin back so far. That's why a lot of surfers have very powerful necks and very strong SDM muscles, the front neck muscles. Take a look at Laird Hamilton, Kelly Slater, uh, Brad Gerlach, Kahea Hart. Uh, a lot of the surfers that are prone surfers, Billy Kemper right now is a perfect example. Billy's a guy that I've worked with a lot and works all the time with Kahea Hart, who's his main coach and, and one of our instructors. And Billy Kemper is a gigantic wave surfer. All right, He's not a big wave surfer. He's a gigantic wave surfer. And his body has to take all kinds of forces without breaking. And if he stays in those rotations before and after he surfs, and he, if he just goes out there and he just practices going front side, practices going backside before he gets in the water, does a couple rotational exercises, he's actually thrown himself further off center. You want to do centralizing exercises. The ones I always preach to people are our founder exercise in particular and our anchored bridge exercise, our prone extension exercises, like, we have all of these really simple tools that will bring you back to center or start you more appropriately at center if you use them for a warm up. So I would say to surfers, instead of worrying and feeling anxious about the injuries you're going to get, accept that you're going to get them and learn as many skills as possible to first protect you from them and next kind of resurrect you from them once you're injured. Um, there's one thing I've learned from working with certain a certain tier of athletes in various sports it's that the ones that want to stay in the game the ones that want to keep surfing keep playing keep whatever it is they are students of their body and they have to be by the time they're in their 30s they're absolutely students of their body and they're learning everything they can about rehabilitation and kind of the, the rejuvenation of of elasticity in the joints and and muscles and cellular health and they're in saunas and they're doing ice baths and they're drinking enough water to be fully, fully hydrated and they're paying attention to inflammatory foods and all that stuff. And each of those pieces is more important probably than any one movement or any one preventive tool. Um, I got a kick out of it. I guess it was last season, mixed last season on tour. There was a, a heat between Julian Wilson and, and Mick Fanning and they were both doing their warm-ups and you know the camera was in the locker room as they're warming up and they both ended on a founder. <laughs> I thought that was awesome. Like, it's been, it's been a good road in that. It's been a good road in that regard. You know, I you, you and I talk offline all the time and you know how lucky I feel. And how, and not not even lucky, man. Fortunate. I feel fortunate. They're very different. Uh I've I've definitely worked my butt off to see this stuff become a very valuable tool to people but as a surfer i get just as giddy if not more giddy when i see this stuff out there i like are you serious, <laughs> are you serious? okay cool wow <laughs> that's, that's my whole that's the whole response every time i can't believe what's going on i'm very happy you mentioned some commonalities between world-class athletes as they start to age what else have you noticed? You've spent a lot of time with some of the best surfers in the world outside of managing their body and, and really caring about, you know, food intake and all of that. What other commonalities have you seen um, 
between some of the world's best surfers? They're, they're happy people. Like they're happy people. Uh, and I know and I'm going to elaborate into a couple of physical things here, but I'm going to use a couple of examples. And I know that these guys don't mind at all me talking about them in this light. So number one is a guy named Barton Lynch, uh, who any surfer knows. And, you know, he's a former world champ and just a really happy, happy go lucky and a Australian guy. And I've known Barton for a while on and off, but he really started to take things very seriously this past couple of years. Um, last year in 2018, so the year, uh, I'm saying last year because in my head, last year's pipeline contest was 2019, which was not that long ago. So December of 2018, I saw Barton again for the first time in a few years. And we just chatted about FD. He's like, oh, I'd like to get into it again. You know, that really helped me back then. He gave this great story about uh, one of our old instructors, Brian King, and how he just, Brian did some work with him and he went out surfing and he's like, my shoulders feel like I'm 20. I can't believe, you know, just, you know, he's very excited. But he, he carried this excitement with him when I saw him again a couple of years later. And then last year I was, I was working the pipeline event as I tend to as one of the staff doctors and Barton's just kind of hanging out with us. And he started taking it a little bit more seriously. And we had started a, a sunset beach class at sunset beach elementary for the winter where either me or Kahea Hart or Jesse Salas was going to be teaching a foundation training class a few days a week at sunset beach. And from the first one we put on Barton and, and a couple others came with so much curiosity. Now, this wasn't their first time learning foundation training or any other training methodology. And I know other trainers that have nothing to do with our work will say the same thing about these guys. They come in because they are so curious about what else they can do to keep doing what they love doing. And all of the recovery, all, some of them have multiple surgeries. All of it is geared towards this common goal of I want to keep doing this thing that I love. Um, some of them get burnt out. I've definitely worked with athletes that are at the top of their game and they're kind of tired of their sport, but that has nothing to do with the sport. Typically it has to do with the people and the things around it. Um, when you get these guys, something that feels a little bit good, they want to go really far with it, really far with it. And I don't see that in everybody. There's a lot of people that will learn one or two things in, in, in our work and it will do the job and that will be plenty. But the top, top, top guys, um, they just want to know what else they can do to fix themselves. That's it. They're not going to go sober. They're not going to, they're not going to have a perfect diet 99.9% .9 of the time, maybe 50%, maybe 60%. Some of them, you know, you ask Kelly Slater and Kelly's, Kelly's pretty serious about his diet, but I'll be honest, I don't work with Kelly anymore. I mean, that was years ago. Kelly's, Kelly's doing his thing now and, and he is still taking his diet extraordinarily seriously and he's still actively seeking anything that can help him feel well. Um, Focus comes from that desire to feel better. And it's like everybody, oh, you got to be focused. You got to be disciplined. It's, you have to have something that makes you want to be those things. And that's what these, these people have found uh, across the board at that top tier. This is the thing that makes them, it forces their discipline. It forces their focus because all they want in the world is to keep doing this. And that's it. That's that's the secret. That's the commonality. Um, they all have different injuries. They all have different backgrounds, but that's the commonality. So in the time that I've known you, I've, I know that your work has changed 
and I've seen the work evolve and, and gotten much better. And I want to talk a little bit about that process later. But how has your understanding of the body changed through the amount of time that you've spent both in introspectively working on yourself and then also working with um, everyday folks and world-class athletes? I mean, it's expanded a lot, Eric, over the years. It could never, nobody could have ever told me in chiropractic school or in, in college or, you know, back, I got my personal trainer certification in 1998. The day I turned 18, I started it. That's how into this dorky stuff I've been. And I saw, it's like every, every moment along the way when you learn something or when something starts to make sense, oh, you feel like you know so much. And then when you learn a little bit more, you realize how little sense that actually made and you feel like you know so little. And then the next, the next thing comes. I mean, I was, I was so confident about the way that I taught decompression breathing in 2011 that I went and did a TED Talk, dude. And I, and I knew what I was talking about. But I really, I didn't know what I was talking about. I had ideas and theories and I had gone way too far in certain directions and not far enough in other directions. And if I could have had the opportunity to give that talk in 2016, I would have, it would have been a totally different discussion. Um, this pelvic anchoring thing has changed my viewpoint of the human body in general. It has made me think that the central platform of any alive animal has to be the primary mover and you see it in all sorts of other animals you see it everywhere where the center of them is the primary fulcrum and this anchoring process of, of feeling the integration lines from the big toe up the inner leg up into the groin from the pinky toe and the lateral foot up into the iliotibial band into the glutes into the deeper muscles carrying that force into the transversus abdominis that muscle has really opened my eyes to how the body controls itself because it's almost impossible, almost, almost impossible to voluntarily contract the transversus abdominis the right way unless you have extraordinary range of motion at the back of your rib cage, as I've learned over the years. And that statement, what I, I bet you, I, I will bet that that statement is very confusing to a lot of people listening to this. And I'm sorry for that. I, I, that means I haven't been able to get good enough at describing it yet but that statement to me changed my whole life changed my whole perception of chiropractic as a profession of people foam rolling the back of their rib cage into extension it changed my consideration with every high level strength and conditioning specialist i speak with where i implore them to stop extending the spines of their high level athletes because it will decrease the longevity of their career substantially uh so i've started making very different um points Still the same idea, got to get the posterior chain to work, got to strengthen the lower back, got to strengthen the hamstrings, got to make the levers of the body work accurately if you want your body to feel good. But the way of getting there has just become so much more complex, in my, but, but also so much more simplistic. So it's a, I don't know, I don't know how, it's a very confusing thing to evolve a specific topic. I know enough now to know that I really don't know anything, I just theorize a lot based on a decent ability to, to kind of 
conceptualize how people's bodies are moving as I see them move. Um, and I'm just trying to get as accurate as I possibly can throughout my career in that one thing. So what you said there and then what you said at the beginning about reverse engineering what you innately knew felt good is rings very true to my um, journey through board design. So I, I started, and, and uh, I think this will give us a platform to have this conversation on. I started out designing stand-up paddle boards because I felt there was a need for something that I couldn't find in the marketplace, which was this marriage between down the line speed and ease of surfing and still mm -hmm. being able to turn tight in the pocket. And most stand-up paddle boards were based on a short board framework, which uses a continuous rocker. And so I found that by separating the rocker um, and having basically a flatter section kind of in the middle of the board and then a pretty aggressive section in the tail, through footwork, you were able to basically surf two boards at the same time. And having a bigger board and having more foam allowed you to do that. That's not something you could do on a smaller board. And within about six months, I designed a board that felt perfect. It felt great. Um, I was like, all right, I, I get it. This is amazing. And so then I was like, all right, now I can build on this. And for the next two years, I could not make a board better because I did not understand what I did. And it took two years of breaking down what I did to figure out actually what I did, what I had lucked into through just chance, happenstance to then design the next board. And now I understand what I'm doing. And that sounds a whole lot like what you experienced through finding the founder early on and then having to mm -hmm. um, reverse engineer what you had created to figure out why it all works. And I think that's such an interesting standpoint because I think a lot of people stop at the, hey, I figured it out. And then they live or whatever, whatever mode they're in, whatever they're, they're working on at that point don't continue to dive into the same, um, the same work to, to actually figure out the rationale of, of why that is. And then their assumptions are then flawed moving forward from that point. And that was such a valuable process for me because I thought I had figured it out. And then two years later, I realized that I didn't, but then I did. Um, it's a pretty cool journey. Yeah. I remember, I remember watching you kind of go through that. And I remember when you got into, I remember when you got into stand up paddling in general, and advanced with that extraordinarily rapidly. Uh, it just showed your athletic ability. It's pretty legit, man. It really is. And when you put that kind of, uh, you know, gifted athletes are gifted athletes because they're typically in some way, shape or form gifted people. Their neurology works well. And neurology is not just a muscular thing. It's a, it's a brain body thing. So usually you can take that, that gift in a few different directions. And that reverse engineering process, I think that's, that's how information, that's kind of the only way that information can be learned, honestly, like, or, or, or new information can be appropriately come upon and understood. You could never come up with something and then test it without knowing in some way, shape or form what it felt like already. Um, at least not in the physical, you know, not in the, the physical education, physical fitness, physical therapy, uh, you know, movement as medicine, as much as it is for performance type field. And by the way, surfing is movement as medicine. I mean, it's a different thing, but it's still body weight absorption as, as fluid as possible with as efficient motion as possible. And when you feel hiccups in your joints and those injuries and those, those repetitive stress problems, those are hiccups in your fluid movement. Those are hiccups in your flow. So 
that reverse engineering process should even get cleaner and cleaner and cleaner as you go. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm about 12 years in now for mine. I, I started this in late 2007 when I was told I was supposed to get a double fusion surgery in my lower back. I was a very stubborn chiropractor and I took a very, very, very little bit of information and I ran with it with extension based movement really seeming to help my personal back injury. Um, man, I then tested that thought on 25 Olympians. I got lucky and, and was asked to be the strength coach and chiropractor for the U S water polo 2008 men's team. And I tested my overconfident extension theory, you know, on these guys and oh, Oh, thank God it worked. I almost ruined them. You know, what if it didn't work? But fortunately it worked and they did really well and they felt really strong and their injuries were very similar to the injury that I had from my own time playing water polo and swimming. So each of these things, you know, I feel like reverse engineering puts itself right in the path of those that need to start it. And I had this thing thrown in front of me in a way that I couldn't avoid it. Uh, I had enough screw ups in my life as well, that I really had a lot of time to focus on something other than building a practice as a chiropractor because I was not able to get my license for the first few years. I was not a good test taker. Never have been. Maybe that means I'm stupid. I don't really care. But it took me a long time to be able to get past my boards. And uh, I had that. I happened to randomly from age 28 to 33, I had five years where I couldn't get my chiropractic license in practice. And all I could do was heal people without my hands through movement. Um, so I had to get good at it, man. I had to get, like my life depended on it quite literally. That's awesome. Um, you know, this discussion just brought something else to the forefront, which is when I coach, one of the things that I have realized that is more powerful than explaining why to do something is to just have someone do something so that they, because surfing and I've done a lot of uh, stand up paddle surfing coaching and now some foil coaching. And it is, there's not really a common language. There's not really a language to understand feel for a lot of what you're trying to show someone um, in these very dynamic sports. But I have found that if you can just get someone in the right place to feel something, they can then work it out and coach themselves through the rest of it. And that's a debate I've had with some incredibly talented world-class learners who don't necessarily agree, but I have found that the board will teach you, the wave will teach you, the gear will teach you if you can just get into a certain, a certain place and have a certain feel. And then people are pretty good at figuring it out for themselves after that point. That's, that's how I teach. So I, I couldn't agree more. Everything I do from my online video stuff is this is what it should feel like. This is where you should feel it. This is how you should feel it. This is, this is what's happening. This is where it's happening. This is why it's happening. Um, if they can't feel it, I can't advance them. There's a basic set of sensations that are required for your body to safely move into more challenging resisted positions, just like in surfing. You know, if you can't look, if you can't catch the wave, you can't surf first and foremost. So you have to have at least a decent paddle. You have to have at least a decent pop-up. Each one of those lends itself to that next step, that bottom term at that, that. You know, I think of a few things that you've taught me along the way. Yesterday when I was surfing, I deliberately thought of you 
when I just, I took my bottom turn and I took, I brought myself back up to the highest point I could possibly get to on the wave to get momentum for the next turn. And I thought to myself, Antonson would be proud. And I was like, <laughs> the only reason I knew that is because you're like, no, you, you want speed? Okay, well, you can't get speed halfway down the wave, so get your ass up higher. And I just remember these conversations with you where you kind of showed me and you gave me a sensation of you're going to look, when you're getting it, you're going to get it because you're going to have so much more momentum carrying through your next little part of the wave. And it's pure accurate, very true. And it's the most basic, to me now, it's one of the most basic parts of surfing, which is just maintaining momentum instead of trying to drive. And that lesson came from that, just that simple, oh, oh, just a little higher, just a little, a little higher than you think. Oh, you think you're up higher? Well, no, this is what it feels like when you get to the top of the wave. Yep. Oh, whoa, that's really different. Okay. Yeah, it's very, very different. My, my understanding of surfing changed when I started looking at it like a conservation of energy game. And then once I went back through and started breaking down, and that's one of the beautiful things about learning and having your framework change is when you have like, when you, when you hit the next level, there was just a great podcast with Kevin Hart and Joe Rogan. And I love Kevin Hart and he's talking about levels. And when you, when you get to the next level, you can kind of go back and reassess what you were doing before and look at it through that new framework. And it makes sense in a different way. And so right now, in foiling and in pumping, as I feel something, I can go back to some videos of, you know, Kane or Adam Bennett's or, you know, some of the best guys in the sport. And it makes sense in a different way. And through the new framework, things come, become more clear as to what's happening. Um, I think that's such a, such a cool process. It's, I love surfing. I think the learning process is just as much fun for me though. The learning, well, I know that, I know you got some buddies that are really, uh, like literally like they're career learners. Yeah. Um, and I think that, I don't think, I don't think it's fair to have a conversation with them about how a person should learn because they're researchers and they're very gifted learners. I think instead the conversation is like, Hey, here's what I see helps. <laughs> this is what I'm seeing helps. And it's like, maybe you want to add this to your repertoire of ways that people learn <laughs> This is among <laughs> them. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, I've, I'm in the field of, of, I'm a, I'm a just, I didn't know this, but one of my friends who's in the tech industry and, uh, somebody that actually, one of our friends, one of our mutual friends introduced me to it. And I become kind of buddy, buddy with it. He was no, nah, man, you, you're, you're a disruptor in the tech industry. You're a disruptor. You come in and you see things as status quo and you're like, well, what about this? And you change it. And, and I think that's what you do in your world as well, Eric. Like you have to have a certain baseline skill set to disrupt or else you're just coming in there shouting. There's nothing to come of it. But if you can carry a lot of information, skill and curiosity into your field, there's a very good chance you're going to disrupt and improve upon your field. And, I genuinely think that you that you are doing that in, in surfing in general, but not just that, but you're getting foilers. I, I see foilers around here in Santa Barbara and in Ventura, and they don't get the best rap except for a couple of the guys that are really, they're very kind and they are very respectful of the rest of the surfers. But I've been learning how to foil over the past little bit, and it's really fun, man. It's really fun, but it's extremely dangerous as well. There's no question. It's definitely more dangerous for the people that are around you than for the person on it. When you're learning 
Like that, that thing can shoot off in various directions pretty easily. Yeah. So you got to be really cautious of others. You got to pay attention, and but you still got to you still got to learn. You still like you still have a goal, and you're still going to get there. And you should be far away from other people when you learn. Yeah, you should be really far away. <laughs> really from far people. away. Absolutely. From, Absolutely. When you think you're far enough, go twice as far. That's what. I, yeah, that's you're you're absolutely right. But the the learning process still has to take place. And if if there was only one place you could go to learn, you're probably never going to learn. If you can't get away from people, if you can't like, you're a guy that has taken yourself away from the norm long enough to learn to do what was needed to learn, and then to take your skills into your field. And that's exactly what I did in mine. I took myself out of chiropractic and out of the rehabilitation field until I could fix myself completely. Or, or to where I felt I, it was complete enough that I had something legitimate to share. And then once I felt that I had something legitimate to share, I was like, all right, this is my baseline. Now, every patient I have for you, every wave you serve, every board you build, for me, every patient I have is another canvas that I'm going to learn from. This person is going to present something to me that is not the same. It is, it is a totally different experience, and I'm going to teach them. While I learn along with them, we're going to figure out how they're going to fix their body. And there's some guiding steps. Like, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. I, I, I know the founder. I know the woodpecker. I know the anchoring process. I know my decompression breathing. I have my pieces that I trust. But everybody's going to have something a little bit different down the line. The treatment's going to be different. The education's going to be different. The style of communication's going to be different. I'm going to do my best to meet them where they are give them an experience and send them on their way. And I think you do that very, you know, so, I can, in my times with you, I've, uh, in the times that I spent with you in Costa Rica or, or wherever, there's always been something to learn that I've taken with me. So I'm sure that your listeners have that experience with you too. Thanks. You're a very good teacher. So thanks. You know, your, your style is legit. Well, I appreciate that. So, you know, in, in that, I was just thinking about how, Something that you have that I think is u- unique and and good and and kind of we should all strive to do it is it would have been very difficult after your first book after you put your thoughts on paper to create a dogma around that and then a cognitive bias blind spot about learning new things because you've gone back and redone a lot of your work and through doing that you had to admit that you were were wrong. Was there a conscious process of kind of tamping down the ego to say, Hey, it's okay to admit that my ideas were not fully formed when I put this out. Did you ever, did you ever give that any thought? I, if you listen to some of the first things and I probably said this to you at the very beginning, Hey man, this is a theory. (laughs) Like that, those words with that level of exasperation come out of my mouth on a very regular basis. Um, Hey, just so you guys know, this is my theory. Theory is the key culprit here. I, I think it's going to work for a lot of people. I I hated in school that I, I mean, I was in school for a long time. I hated professors and students, by the way, that just knew they just knew whatever it was. They knew God, that drove me nuts. It was like they got the whole, how did you come this far and get it all wrong? You're not supposed to think you know anything. You're supposed to be constantly learning how to be a little bit more useful. And our field of being useful is helping people. 
Oh no, I, I don't. I know that I have. A, I've got a really big ego in some ways. I know that. I'm not blind to it. It's gotten me where I am, and it's protected me in various times, and it's thrown me to the wolves a couple times as well. Uh, but for some reason, I don't care if I'm wrong. I don't. I don't take that personally. I never have. Uh, I'm very quick to apologize. I'm very quick to say, "Oh, I'm sorry." <laughs> uh, I. I'll give you a good example, and Ross might get annoyed with me for saying this, but it's okay. Uh, so I, I've tried to help Ross Williams over the years. He's an announcer for the WSL. We have a lot of mutual friends. And, and each time I helped him, it was like he got better right then. But I, I heard through the grapevine that maybe it really wasn't helping him. And then somebody said to me that some of the work we might have done might have even advanced some of the symptoms. And I, uh, dude, I didn't sleep for like two days. That's not the goal. And they, well, I didn't sleep for two days, not because of who he is. I don't care who anybody is, but because... I tried my ass off to help him. And the thing that usually helps people seemed to allegedly have hurt him. And, and maybe it did. But I just remember writing him a text after I heard from, uh, through a couple friends of friends that maybe it had hurt him. And I just said, Ross, I just want you to know that I did my best to help you. I am so sorry if this work hurt you in any way, shape or form. I hope you know that I only have the best of intentions to, to help you heal and, and, you know, whatever whatever it is you're dealing with there is things out there that will help you keep looking keep searching like whatever there's you know go try this go try that there's lots of other recipes out there and he just wrote back he's like hey man you didn't hurt me i went back to surfing too quickly i'm really excited to get back into this work once i'm strong enough maybe i wasn't quite strong enough when i got there you know million million reasons why this and that but but i reached out to him i didn't sit there and say to myself oh no what if this what if that what you know i i Hey man, I'm really sorry if I hurt you. That wasn't my intention. And I've kind of always had that communication style with everybody in my, in my world. Um, I think it's why our friend, our, our friend Karen Rinaldi and I have gotten along really well is because I've always told her exactly who I am, what I think, uh, and why I think it. And I've never held anything back. And I'm a lot more wrong than I am right in most of my life. And I, I you know, all of us are, by the way, everybody. We don't know what the hell we're doing. We're just showing up, trying to live. And, and in my life, I'm trying to really correct what I see as some flaws in biomechanics, but I'm never going to make any improvement on myself or the community of biomechanics if I can't laugh at myself as I screw up along the way. And I laugh a lot. <laughs> I can attest to that. Um... <laughs> I do, man. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a smiley guy. Yeah. A lot of the time anyway. You know, one of the things that's been fun to watch over the last 10 years has been how you've grown the business. And I know that has not been, I hope it's okay to say this, your strong suit, but you've done a really good job <laughs> at it, especially lately. Cause you're an artist, right? Like you're, you're in there thinking about how to make people feel better. I don't know, 15 hours a day. I don't know when the business part you know, when you have time for the business part, but it seems like it's going incredibly well. Same. They're all the same. It's all the same. All the, the, same. Same. the business, it's all the same. Like this was the big shift I made. I used to hire people to help me with the business. And I've, we, man, we've had those conversations there. Yeah. Um, I've had, I've had two teams built around me. What before I had the confidence to build my own team is the best way that I'll put it. And now for the past several years, uh, I think it was getting married and having a child and just 
you know, hitting my late thirties, looking at 40 and being like, okay, what is my goal for the next decade? I'm a very goal oriented person, but I make goals that are so delusional and grandiose and to get there is impossible. So I don't really think of the steps along the way. I just really think to myself, what's, what's the net impact in my, in my head of the next 10 years. And there was a couple things that had to take place for, for me to be as impactful for my family and for my friends uh, as I wanted to. And oddly enough, one of those things was to actually shrink the business. I had to, I was, I had like, at one point, I think we were up to like 13, 14 people working for foundation training, but we weren't taking in a ton of revenue and we had a, a business partner that was sort of inflating uh, some of the books and some of the projections and different things like that. So I had to make a decision that I was not going to allow my kid to see my frustration with the business. Like I was not going to let her grow up she was born in late 2017. I'm not going to let her grow up and see me kind of quietly getting angrier and angrier at this thing that, that is supposed to be helping not only a lot of people, but giving me a good life. So I did what at the time to me was very unthinkable. And I actually fired uh, six people that through a lot of various reasons were, were not really meant to be with the team anymore. And then I shrunk it down even more. And I actually, I tightened up my teaching team from about 11 or 12 or 13 people to there's about seven of us now. And those seven are incredible. Um, so I didn't really look at the business to improve the business. I, I looked at the life that I wanted to live, uh, the people that mattered the most in the world to me. And I took the things that were stressing me out so much that I couldn't focus on them. And I took them out of the way. And it was challenging and I went severely into debt for a little while. That's all changed. The business is cleaner. Our offerings are, our offerings, meaning our streaming site, our app, our certification courses, our, our books. I have two new books coming out, one from my wife and one from me that are both coming out in the winter of next year. Um, it's, been an inc- it's been an incredible upswing. I've always had a relatively successful business with foundation training on the surface, but the last two and a half years of it being myself, my brother-in-law, Jesse Salas, my closest friend in the world, Dustin Derricky, and our producer who has made every single video ever in the 12 year history of foundation training, Paul Matthew, it's just the four of us, man, that's foundation training. We run it. We have a wonderful circle of, people that help us from independent contractors to a couple of employees like Sean Yeager diamond, Ali cost. These people are incredible human beings that have selflessly helped us bring this to a point where we're really proud of it. And we're now really proud of it. Uh, when anybody who sees foundation training now sees on the surface is what looks like a really clean, successful, profitable business based on helping people. And I hope everybody understands the, the mirror-filled funhouse of personalities, choices, failures, and successes that lead to that image. And it's been 10 years in that funhouse. But I finally figured out which reflection of mine was the accurate, authentic one, and I dove 100% into that reflection. And two and a half years of doing that has cleaned up my business to a point I couldn't have imagined, made it so that the people that profit off of it are the people that work the hardest within it. And 
given me a, like a, in a, not, not a necessarily a new lease on life, but a new lease on, on this deep love that I have for the, what a person can do for themselves with the right knowledge. That's the coolest thing to me. Uh, and I practice it on a, on a daily basis for myself. So it's a fun thing to share. You know, it sounds like one of the big inflection um, transitional points for you there was something that I learned. I had a business called Surfing Nosara, um, which is a, I don't even know how to explain it, but essentially a real estate brokerage in Costa Rica, but based around the surfing lifestyle. And at some point I let the culture get away from me. And that was, I didn't notice it at the time, but that was the moment when the fun started to come out of the business. And then I hit a really difficult period to where I had to make the decision to take the culture back, which was going to be a painful process, or I had an option to sell the business at the same time. And I decided to, I'm a big believer in, in kind of like taking what you've learned and starting over because then you get to start from a foundation that is, um, new and clean. And so I did that, mm-hmm. but I think that um, being able to do what you did there and change the culture, and I know that it wasn't, we talked about it, I know that was not an easy process, some of the things you had to do there and getting control back mm-hmm. and the whole thing, that was, that was difficult. Um, and it was a big leap of faith too, but that's pretty rad that you were able to make that change and it's super incredible. I'm stoked for you to see it now, what, three years later? Not even three years later, man, when, not even. It'll be, so, you know, and, and for your listeners, I, I don't know if this, I think this will translate because this is our business. Uh, this is foundation training. Imagine, you mean, you know, I moved to Hawaii a little while ago, right when Sonora was born, I had to get away. When all the chaos was going down, I literally had to just get away from the center of it. And Jen and I moved our little family out to Hawaii for a bit. And I didn't understand how much chaos was coming my direction from the business changes. I didn't understand the legal stuff. I was going to have to kind of understand. We didn't no no court, no nothing like that. Just I didn't understand how much studying I was going to have to be doing, how much time was going to have to go into doing this cleanly and respectfully and as well as possible. Uh, so we made these moves and we went out there and we did all these things. And one day, Dustin, Paul, and Jesse flew out to visit me, uh, and and. We wanted, you know, we're going to make a little bit of content. Our good friend, Javi, was kind enough during their time out there to do a conference call with us. And he got on the phone with us and Javier says, all right, guys, I, I love what you're doing. I'm such a big fan of it. I, I have done it myself. I mean, Javi's come to some courses and things. But he's also a very, 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 very intelligent businessman. Yeah, he's one of the smartest and he said, you guys have to... Yeah, one of the smartest dudes I've ever met. No question, yeah. no question. And and with a big heart, which is even cooler. Um, so Javi just is like, "Hey guys, I, I love what you're doing, but you gotta, you guys gotta go streaming. You need to create a streaming site." Okay. So Dustin, who I've known since we were 13, 14 years old, and just just another, he's an engineer's mind in a chiropractor's body. Um, Dustin took it upon himself to build us a streaming site. He found everything. He did everything. He built everything. He organized everything. Um, once we had the site put together, we decided we needed a new flagship program. And for one year, we planned and built and filmed this 112-day baseline program that walks everybody through 112 days of learning straight. You oh, know, on day 12. Very, very thorough. 
it's intense, right? It's like it's only twenty or so minutes at a time, but it's very thorough. I'll tell you what, man. I'm I'm getting back in shape with it right now, but man, there were some little muscles I didn't even know I had that first four days. I was like, I don't know, yeah. Eric. I don't know. And you've been, been doing this for years. I have, but I've been doing my own bastardized version of what I think was helping me and cheating. When you said earlier, some guys just learned it and and kind of go half-assed on it. That was me. I, I know. I was talking. About, I was totally talking about you. I, know you <laughs> I, 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 was like, I felt the jab. Some guys like you. Yeah, no, I felt it. No, but now I'm actually taking done. it on. I'm taking it on. I have, I have committed. So, and actually, Sarah's committed too. Demo's doing it with us. It's awesome. So, it's very uh, cool. Dude, that's the best, man. Oh, my! Our little girl, our little Sunny, says sphere of tension all the time, and she does the hand position, and she oh, loves it. And awesome. she knows. Well, the coolest thing about all this is, is my daughter knows Daddy fixes people. Like, what's Daddy do? He helps people. He fixes people. He fixes everybody. It's just like the best thing. That's like music to my ears. And it's so for me. Bad. But. Um, for, so, since we're talking about the streaming site real quick, I'll give you a plug. It's at stream.foundationtraining.com. I highly recommend it. Um, thank you. I'm on day, I think it's, I don't know, 12 or something like that right now. And yeah. it's really good. Like I was, cause I've been doing it for a long time. I mean, we even did a retreat together, a surfing foundation training retreat, probably five years ago or so at this point. I'm like, I mm-hmm. didn't see the value three, necessarily. Three years ago. Three That's all crazy. I know because that's when we found out Jen was pregnant. Yeah, and that's when we had we had, actually that's when Sarah was sick too. That was an in- that's uh, that crazy. was a hectic. I remember the conversations with Sarah on the deck. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, you were part of that whole journey. Well, we don't need to get into that right now, but the ending is no, beautiful. No. So, and actually, the ending is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, or the beginning is beautiful. Um, actually, this is the first podcast that I am recording. Sarah surprised me yesterday, and had to order all of these beautiful soundproofing um, like panels for the wall. So I'm basically in like a new studio for the podcast. I hope the audio turns out insanely good. It's going to be pretty rad. Oh, she, and then I went she's and pretty screwed wonderful. it up by coming to the beach. Oh, that's fine because I'm still going to sound great. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> no, but um, good. I'll fix you in post. So, so real quick, I... I want to finish the thing about Javi because Javi okay. probably doesn't realize this. He doesn't know this, but we talk about it very openly uh, in our small little crew. So I don't like to talk about it, but in 2017, man, I was, I was probably going bankrupt. You know, oh, foundation training, that was a good try. The business part of it. The idea was, was going to live on. That I don't have any fear of. It's, it's out there. But the business part of it, the monetization of an idea, the stress involved is like, okay, I can't take this anymore. I don't foresee the ability to pay off these debts, especially not after getting some very high percentage owners out of the business. And I, I just didn't see a way forward. And Javi gets us this idea of the streaming site and just gave us a little bit of coaching, man. It was probably an hour long call, just a little, little video conference at my house in Hawaii with the boys. And Dustin, who has been just this this wonderful utility human being in the world, he does so much. Uh, but in my personal friendship with him, he's always been the ability. He's always had the ability to whatever needed to get done. Could, he could do it. He could do it. Whatever it is, and that's why he started foundation training with me from from kind of day one. And within about a month, 
he and Paul had categorized all of the previous stuff in foundation training, the old DVDs, all the old videos, all the old workouts into this really nice streaming catalog. Okay, cool. And uh, the website, the inertia, who I'm friendly with, I've done some things with the inertia and Zach Weisberg who runs it. And they did a nice thing to give us an initial promotion of the website. So we got, you know, like 500, uh, that first year or so we got like 500 or a thousand subscribers because it was 15 bucks a month. You know, it's still asking people to shell something over when they're used to our stuff being free. And we just got, we just got better and better at it. And Dustin took it on like a, I mean, an absolute pet project. Like this is going to be amazing. We're going to get it amazing. And by the way, we haven't gotten it there yet It's on the way. We're actively working on all of these new things, um, including really in-depth anatomy education, really in much more in-depth educational pathways even than baseline uh, is right now. But we started to get some people coming in, and, and Javi doesn't realize this, but he, he saved our career with that advice. And he didn't just give us the advice. He gave us a pathway. He told us what needed to be done to, to get there, and he gave us the initial steps. He told us, in a sense, what it will feel like when it's running correctly sort of like you do with surfers and like i do with with patients as we he gave us an idea of what it could feel like um and i don't think that we're there yet in any way shape or form but the pathway is clear we have spent over two years profitable after a hellish six to eight months transition period where we were anything but profitable and just trying to tread water uh to keep this idea alive and we're, I don't know that we're ever going to be gazillionaires or anything like that, man, but we're paying our salaries. We're paying developmental costs. We're able to film anytime we want to film. We own our production company in-house now. Uh, we were able to partner with Paul's whole production company, and now we have all of that equipment, all of that stuff. And it sprung from a friend who had really good information, just saying, here's some information, and I, I support you guys, and I wish you well, and I, and I think you can do it. And those little moments of support have been so valuable uh, in my life. And I just, I just want, while I'm here talking to you, because that relationship started with you, uh, you know, that's been, that's been gigantic for us. Heck yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, I got some great advice um, probably about four or five years ago. And it was when, you know, running Surfing Osara was no fun anymore. And I was thinking, you know, like, what do I do at this point? And at that point, I was thinking about some other kind of endeavors and I was going to do them all solo. And I had someone tell me that you need to be, you need to surround yourself with people that are levels above and kind of always feel like the dumb guy in the room and that you almost like you're always trying to earn your spot. And I kind of took that to heart. And that's been a, 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 a like a kind of like the hobby thing. And, and I say that because Javi is in that group of people that when I'm just learning from him, um, you know, you almost don't feel like you should be a part of the conversation, but you're just do, doing your best to be there. Um, <laughs> but that's been such a great principle to try to kind of always and I think it comes into this whole like always learning mindset type of thing and 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 being curious all the time but that was some incredible advice um yeah he's a smart dude if he if he listens to these we love you honey <laughs> I'll send it to him <laughs> I know he's probably slammed right now 
Um, oh my god! Yeah, yeah, I couldn't imagine. I'm yeah. sure he's going through a lot of stuff right now. But um, but in our world, we get to bring people joy, which is a very very fortunate thing. And key element of that is the reason we teach them something that we love is because it's making us feel good and it's keeping us doing things we like to do. So I think that was our that was yours and my initial common bond. We were both just trying to live the life we wanted to live and kind of doing what needed to be done to get there. Yeah. Your, your journey also hits on two other kind of core tenets that I try to explain sometimes when people ask me about business stuff. And that is the money always comes last and it usually comes after any other sane person would have quit. <laughs> right. Everything so that I've done would, that's been successful so long ago, everyone else sane would have stopped. <laughs> Uh, you have to be kind of out of your mind to yeah. do something really fun. Um, you do. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'm, I'm reasonably out of my mind in, in you know, different ways and, uh, certainly not shy of my opinions on things and, and yeah, you gotta be a little out of your mind. And most people give up when things become uncomfortable or when they think that their perceived value has been, uh, exceeded in a sense. And I, I didn't start this with any perceived value. I'm literally, I think I'm relatively ineffective in the world, except for this one thing. And as a result, I've really got to get good at this one thing. And I'm going to keep whatever I got, whatever I can do to keep doing this is going to keep me feeling relevant to myself and maybe even others. And wow, I really got to take this serious. I got to take this really seriously. Whoa, I, this is my life. Okay. Oh, that's, that's what finding a passion is. That's what finding a purpose is. Okay it doesn't come at you like a, like a bunch of roses. It comes at you like a bridge falling out behind you and you have to begin running forward. To take the purpose. Right. And that's kind of how it all feels. Yeah. That, that was a big thing for me in understanding. I was probably 21, 22. I was on a, uh, a reading kick. I was the, the, I answered phones. I was the receptionist for this tech company and it was pretty slow. And so the owner, this guy named Tony Barr, I've talked about him, and maybe not on this podcast, but on the old one at times. Brilliant dude. He wrote the SAS program, which has been used in all of the epidemiological modeling right now for the wow. virus. And um, he, he didn't have much to do. We started a book club. And one of the books that we read together was called Now Discover Your Strengths. And it was the first time that I had always been a broad learner. Like I kind of wanted to be, you know, decent at surfing and decent at playing guitar and a decent athlete and uh, and I, it was the first time that I realized that book made me realize that being decent is never gets rewarded. It is being really good at one specific kind of arcane thing. And that changed the way that I approach things moving forward. Like, um, I'm grateful for that, for that kind of, uh, that, not, that book club was probably one of the coolest things I did. I actually, I was learning so much there as <laughs> probably right around the time I left college just like I'm learning like a million times more just reading. Why don't I just do this? That's so dude. I, everything I've learned about medicine has come after being in the field. Uh, when I, when I went to school, I learned how to learn, you know, I learned the process of gathering information and deducing uh, information. Um, but you don't learn skills necessarily. Or, or responsiveness or reflexiveness or reactions. And uh, you can't 
just, you can't just kind of wing it. You got to get really good at stuff if you're going to be serious about it. Like you can't, you can't fake it very long if you don't have real experience in your field, whether that's a sport or a job or a business or a anything. You just, uh, I'm sorry, there's a train going by. It's awesome. Eric, you know, he's sitting at the beach right now. Look at the wind and the train. This is mental health stuff. I live what I preach, Eric. Yeah. And well, time, people have like, to be outside as much as possible. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that right now. It's a crazy time. Yeah. Um, sorry, where was I? Where we just tangented? I'm sorry. Um, I don't know. I just had a total brain fart on that. The that probably wasn't that valuable or important. <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You, you lo- win a few, lose a few. Uh, I'll think of it in a second. Okay. Oh, I have I have a question for you. I have I have one more note of something uh, that I've wanted to talk to you a little bit about because I wanted you to dive deeper into it. It's something that you told me a few years ago, and we were talking about how after time off you come back and you feel like you're better. And I actually referenced this on the podcast not too long ago, and you were saying that neurologically we become fatigued. And sometimes you need time to let those motor synopses or whatever the real word for that is, because I just kind of made that one up, um, become tired. You need you, they need a break. And then when you come back, they fire faster. Can you dive into that a little bit more? Because that's something that I have been trying to figure out what's proper for training. Um, and I'm actually going to be in a more of a coaching situation in the next little bit and I want to figure out pacing. Um, so I'm not working some folks too hard. So I'll do, I'll, I'll do kind of two examples. Okay. One will be sport. One will be like more of like a clinical setting kind of where I'm like, I'll, like I'll talk from a patient standpoint. So in sport, there's, there's these, it's not even just sport. I mean, it's childhood development too. I'm going to parallel some of what Jen does with this. People think that development happens in a, in a kind of a linear fashion. Like you could draw a graph and it'd be a very straight line from where you begin your learning process to where you excel and become uh, an expert or a master. And, and it will be a somewhat linear graph where it's like, Oh yeah, it's like a, you get 10% better every, every month. It's not how it works. You don't get 10% taller every month either as you're growing. Things happen in spurts. And the spurt, oh, Eric, the spurt takes so much energy. It takes so much force and electricity for your brain to... Can you hear me? Yep, I got you. Okay, sorry. It seemed like it was breaking up for a second. It takes so much force and electricity for that, that growth spurt to occur. And a growth spurt in a sport in a skill, in a coordination, takes a lot of repetition and preparation. A lot of repetition. The story is written time and time and time again in practice. And eventually, your body's going to need time to to kind of manufacture the energy for that next chapter. 
to play out because it's been written for a while. It's written in the repetition. It's written in the sequence of doing things over and over and over and over and over. But the gross impact and benefit only comes with the energy provided for that next level. And that energy requires rest. So in sport, in childhood development, and in exceptional learning, real learning, like where you're getting beyond the learning point into the mastery point, it occurs in spurts. And those spurts require rest, nutrition, energy, sleep, and relaxation. That gives the processing time needed. And through that processing time, which is typically between like a week and a month, you're going to imprint the patterning for your next steps, your next movements, your next patient, your next size in shoes, whatever it is. But it ain't happening like a straight line. It's happening in parabolas. All the way up, all the way down, plateau. All the way up all the way down, plateau. And over time, that plateau gets higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. And that is your baseline or your foundation that is continuously improving. But it does not happen one day at a time. It's really, it requires so much rest for your body to imprint and process and, and identify and dispatch and categorize all of this new information. How do you take that rest? What's the best way to do it? If you were laying out a training program for someone, what would that look like, say, over a two-month period? And, and you can put them into blocks, but, I mean, should it be a complete week off? Because I can't take a week off from training. No, it's, <laughs> I mean, not, it's not take a week off. Okay. Well, actually, it's interesting. It is. It's take a week off from training, but that week you're going to walk. You know, Your job is to walk a total of 25 miles this week, however you get there. You know, whatever it is, that's your, that's your neurological imprinting rest is to walk, to do a very simple pattern that doesn't tax your body very much so that it can focus on developing the brain patterns for the more arduous task. And should that be time out of the water so, for someone who's training and surfing? It, it should be time. It, it really, it, it truly should be time out of the water, even if just for a few days, it really should. Um, and it's frustrating to some people. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll give a team athlete because with a team, you have all different types of people. And with the U.S. water polo team, I used to do three to four days of land training a week. And then they'd be in the pool pretty much every day. But on Fridays, typically Fridays, they'd play ultimate Frisbee, something totally different, just something that used completely different patterns, completely different everything. They loved it. It was pure joy. And it just gave their, they, they didn't ever stress that day. They never worried about Fridays ever. They were excited for it. So it's not always like a day off. It's more of like a switched pattern. It's, it's allowing the brain and body to, to lose focus on that one task. Almost like you're allowing that task to fall asleep. And just like you do when you fall asleep, you're not conscious of it, but a lot of reparation is happening. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so it's hard to say linearly if I, you know, my typical teaching method is I teach a handful of exercises in a very short, like I usually teach one or two movements at a time and then I won't teach another movement until the next session. Um, and I won't, and we won't revisit that other movement until a few sessions later. And that 
you know, I want to have, an, I don't want to just be teaching the same thing, same thing, same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get that. But you do have to have a baseline of, of, you have to have that basic sensitivity. You have to learn that first feeling or two to get there. Yeah. As, as we're kind of talking about this, I'm thinking about the learning process. And for me, it comes in physical differences. So like with foiling, my body had to change to adapt for the, you know, the leg strength needed to pump around. And that took a little while, mm -hmm. but then through that process, there were, you know, layers that were revealed of the pump game. And, and they usually happen with aha moments. Like it, it is, it's like a stair step, like a, like a staircase for me to where, and it usually happens with seeing something new and then cycling through gear feeling out whatever that new understanding is to understand it on different fields of foil. And I do that in, in surfing as well. Um, I'm not like the mm -hmm. innate uh, Fisher Grant type, just pick up anything and, and, you know, virtuoso. Like for me, it's a very mechanical process to get better, which helps in coaching and it helps in the podcast and things like that. Because for me, I have to understand it to be able to do it. Um, so then I can explain it. Well, you should. Yeah. And teaching helps you understand. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's crazy when things just pop out that you've never thought of before. And you're like, Oh, yeah, wait right. a second. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I do love it as well. And, you know, I think we're both really fortunate that we get to teach things and do things that make a lot of sense to us. And I never would have thought that I'd be teaching an exercise modality, you know, as my treatment of choice for the vast majority of conditions that I see in patients around the world. I never thought that would be the route, but at the same time, I just couldn't imagine any other route in my life. I couldn't imagine doing anything else and feeling good about it in yeah. the same way. That's so, when you know you're in the right place. You know, we are who we are. Yeah. So I posted up on the Instagrams, uh, right before we hopped on the show. So um, let's see if anybody had any questions. And I got one from my buddy Chase um, and asked if you had any thoughts, now that you're foiling a little bit, on injury prevention for foiling and pumping specifically because we're putting a lot of load on our yeah. legs. It's unbalanced load. I know that my back leg, my right yep. leg fatigues uh, much faster than my front leg. I've had knee issues twice now with foiling to where I just feel like my tendons start to get kind of fatigued and I start getting some pain in the tendons. Um, is there anything that we can do to, uh, to help those or any other things that you see in foiling that, uh, that we, that we can help try to, to prevent? Yeah, definitely. Number one is the woodpecker exercise, woodpecker rotation exercise that we teach. Uh, it's a, it's basically, it teaches you accurate force absorption, leg to leg, and it teaches you how to keep your hips and your knees very, very accurately communicative so that it keeps them healthy and keeps them strong. So I would, you know, it's all about how you're warming your body up, how you're priming it before you go boiling. I would suggest a five minute or so routine where you're alternating that woodpecker exercise, one or two founders and there's one of the new ones up there called the spiral decompression lunge. And the spiral lunge is an excellent, excellent for surfers or foilers before they're going out. 
because it's going to make sure that your hip joints are the most mobile area of your body before anything else. And that's going to allow every pump to be transferred through the hips a little bit more than it's transferred through the knees. Um, it's not anything special though. It's just load your front leg accurately before you go in and that will yield a very healthy balance between the front and back leg when you're actually on the board. Okay. What about decompression breathing? Should you be doing decompression breathing along with the founders pre Yeah, The reason I teach that the way I do now is because I really, I deep down believe that when you're warming up for any sport or anything that is going to potentially hurt you, decompression breathing gives you more surface area for the lats, more surface area for the lungs, more surface area for the abdomen, more strength in the neck, more strength in the shoulders. It's a very important warm-up piece. And that, I give that to every motocross racer I work with, every fighter, every hockey player, every you know surfer, all of them. Everybody learns decompression breathing and practices it before they go out. Well, I'm going to work it into the... Uh... The pre-surf routine. My pre-surf routine is generally just about a four-second hamstring stretch on both sides and then run into the water. I have a really difficult time standing <laughs> on the beach with waves and <laughs> just going out like 14. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know who said it best to me, man? There's, so I've been very lucky over the years to have a really nice friendship with Brad Gerlach that has now spanned over 10 years and we've had kids, you know, he's, he's got married and we've like, we've seen each other in various elements of life. And we were surfing once and I was about, and I had warmed up for like five minutes or so already. So like we did some foundation together. We like, we were about to go in the water and he goes, Hey, slow down. Let's just, let's just see what the water's like for a second. Like just watch the waves for a second. He goes, time your pulse for one minute. Just, See what your pulse is for one minute and then get into the water. And I was like, all right, I didn't really think anything of it. I did that and then we paddled out and we talked, you know, we kind of chatted on the paddle out. And I realized that what it did is it just connected me into that present moment. I wasn't jumping out to the surf. I was just right there breathing. And it was a different type of warm up. It wasn't the, the posterior chain connection thing that he and I had just done. It was a neurological relaxation before I went into the water. And I, I do it every surf now. And that was years ago. And I, I love it. And I have three coaches that I really look at as the guys that are probably the best surf coaches in the world. And I know there's others. I know there's guys like Chris Gallagher. I know there's, there's, there's a lot of other people out there that are incredible coaches. But Kahea Hart, um, Brad Gerlach, and actually you, Eric, oddly enough, because of your versatility and the, the approach you take to it, you guys are able to get really valuable information through to people that that is not only surf information, but general movement and, and neurological information. So I take that pretty seriously. And that little bit that Brad did, I honestly, I think it kind of changed the way I surf a bit. It slowed me down the whole process that, that extra minute or so just slows down the whole process. Well, that is a pretty esteemed company to, not feel comfortable being in, but, um, thank you. I've told you that before. Yeah. I still don't feel comfortable with it. Um, <laughs> all right, man. Well, I've taken up a lot of your time and I know you want to go surf and I appreciate this. Um, folks check out stream.foundationtraining.com. Um, you will not regret it. Um, it comes with my absolute highest recommendation. I am now, 
12 years passed when I was told that I needed to have fusion, spinal fusion, and I am way healthier now. I feel way better now than I did then. And the majority of that credit goes to the the work that Eric's put together. So huge thanks. And uh, what do you want to leave folks with, Eric? How do pe- people find you and, and uh, any any last thoughts for the show? No, it was really nice what you just said. Um, and I've had the same experience where it was 12 years ago that I was told I needed fusion. And I'm so thankful that so many people have similar injuries and an open mind to, to try something that's a little different. Um, yeah, the streaming site is great, stream.foundationtraining.com. We have a main site as well, which is just foundationtraining.com. We have free stuff on YouTube. Uh, just, if you just literally Google the words foundation training at this stage, you're going to find a lot. And I'm very proud of that. So I hope you do it. If you find us for free, that's cool. If you're willing to pay us a little bit to teach you more thoroughly, uh, I genuinely appreciate the support. And nothing else, I, I really hope that our work or somebody else's helps you all surf for the rest of your life and you enjoy the crap out of it. Yeah, I will say that I don't pay for many streaming sites at all. And yours is incredible. Like the depth of the work and the explanation, I, I actually really like it. For me, I, I like it maybe more than when we're um, like when I go to a class with you, just because it's like quick and to the point And in 15 minutes or 20 minutes, whatever it is, you, you feel great. You can put it on whenever you want. Um, I love it. And I'm going to try to do the whole 112 days. I don't know if I'm going to get there. But uh, that's my goal. Sarah and I have taken it on. We missed one day. I so think far. when you get to the when you get to the rotational uh, when you get to the I think it's weeks. Whatever the archer kneeling archer se- or kneeling spiral series, the archer, the reverse archer, the kneeling spiral series, that's going to be a massive, massive improver for you as you get through those things. But nice. take your time. Um, enjoy the like. Enjoy relearning it. You know, I would never charge anybody for anything that I haven't literally spent every day of the last 10 years of my life developing and then some, um, and I do, I'm very proud of where it is, but only because of, of what it's able to do still for me and for a lot of other people. Yeah. I would, I would highly recommend everyone to challenge themselves with 30 days of it. it costs you 15 bucks. That's like two coffees right now. And, um, you'll probably feel a lot better. I know that I do. I mean, it's amazing what's just happened to me right over on. the last couple of weeks. I forgot how dramatic it can feel. Um, there's that weird neck thing, which just scared the crap out of me that happened. And then, you know, two weeks later, it's yeah. like I haven't even thought about it now. You know, it's like, anyways. And that's, and I love, I love being able to tell you like, Hey, just focus on these things. And you're going to, you're going to remember that the web is connected and yeah. your neck is part of the web. I should have reached um, out months look, ago. Man, we got was stupid. The other thing that people can do, I didn't mention this. We have 1100 instructors around the world. We have certified instructors in, in most countries in most cities and a lot of them are extraordinarily talented. A lot of them are in the surf community. And I would recommend uh, go to our website and take a look if there's any trainers near you if you want to learn it in person as well. Oh, epic. Yeah, I guess I don't think about that right now with people not going to yeah. gyms and stuff. But Wear your full body condom. <laughs> we watched Naked Gun the other night as a family, and that's what Damo said. He's like, that's a COVID suit. <laughs> That's a COVID suit. That's yeah. right. I love it. I love it. Oh, All right, man. man. Well, thanks. Thanks for this. I, I always love joining you on these. And yeah, dude. Your audience is lucky to it's have you. It's been too long. Thank you. It's great. They're great that you came on. Talk I appreciate it. All right.